brother. Sup, brother. Welcome to, that was a lot of energy for a Sunday morning. Yep. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 15 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my younger brother, Chris. That'd be me. <laughs> Match Wits is a nostalgia and pop culture podcast. <laughs> Got that one. Have, hey, a it's, third, it's, have a third cup of coffee while you're Yeah, out. yeah. It's, I'm actually like on my fourth. Um, what, what was I saying? You're giving the intro to the podcast <laughs> that you've done like 50 times before. Match Witch is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where I typically provide the nostalgia, Chris provides the pop culture, uh, and we talk and sometimes disagree on a number of different topics. If we do disagree, we will – well, I say we – I will throw it out there. Chris will probably say, no, I don't want to bet unless he absolutely positively knows the answer. Then we'll do a dimwit challenge, and I will lose, which I have done six times thus far, or at least um, six times in the hole. I think I won a couple of them, but not many. But that's what I don't understand. Like, so you like insult me for not taking bets where I don't know the answer. You're like, yeah, he doesn't bet on things he doesn't know. Like, that's called smart betting, dipshit. Yeah, but you like stuff that you may be like eighty percent sure that you know the answer to. You could you could go out on a limb a little bit. You you ask me, you make bets on ones that I literally have no clue whatsoever, like none. So that's just the dumb gamble. Well, speaking of dumb gambles, great segue to this week's topic, which is Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm. So we I are going to talk. I thought you were going to talk about my fantasy football playoffs this week where I hitched my wagon to the Cleveland Browns. Like, this literally was the long con all year long. It's like I went and I did, like, my research to figure out, all right, if I win my division, get a first-round bye, the first week of the playoffs for me would be week, what is this, 15? Week 15 against the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm literally starting Baker, Jarvis, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the worst defense. The Arizona Cardinals are the worst defense in the league, and this is literally the best matchup I could hope for. So, yeah. I mean, and if Cleveland does what they've been doing, they're going to come out throwing. So you got yep. Baker, which is great, and then they'll they'll settle down and they'll start running. And particularly if they get a lead, they're going to yeah. start running with Kareem and Chubb. You're covered. I'm covered, so, but risky. Uh, it's risky. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> risky. The, associating my playoff chances with the Cleveland Browns has never been a smart play. Yeah, that's like the Joe Joint. Um, when we used to do the Erie League football before he passed away, he would every year he would draft like like, and this would be like this was ten years ago when the Browns were you know mediocre, and he would draft like you know I didn't think who the quarterback was Brendan uh, um, Brendan Whedon. Yeah, yeah, Brendan Whedon, the oldest rookie in NFL history. Yeah, Brendan Whedon at twenty nine, and then whoever the running back was, like uh, William Green or Montario Hardesty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I saw something interesting on on Twitter today, and and I'm, I'm having a hard time with Brown's Twitter. Um, just some of the negativity going around. I get it. I mean, people just it's it's. It's a that that website is just a weird thing, right? People can say anything, people respond. You get it, it's just a weird thing. But somebody posted like you look at like the, the the love like Quincy Morgan and some of these mediocre wide receivers that people have embraced throughout the years, and now we have Odell and Jarvis, and we have a hard time with it. Yeah, like we're we're fickle, <laughs> miserable fans. Like that's just the way it happens. This yeah. is why we can't have nice things. It is exactly why we can't have nice things, and I, I, I just, I hope, I hope we don't win. Well, I hope we win this week, 
and it doesn't <laughs> feel like a loss. Like last week, we beat the we won, and everybody like, mm, we didn't or, win the right we didn't win the right way. We didn't play well. Like, we or, won. Or Steve, stop, stop reading Twitter. Like it's real yeah. simple. Like when when I. I when all the stuff, all the backlash came out this re- most recent week of John Boyega and J.J. Uh, Abrams kind of bad-mouthing The Last Jedi, you know what I did? I muted everything Star Wars related on Twitter because the, the Star Wars fandom is become so toxic and I'm almost kind of embarrassed to associate myself with it that I can just like things on my own now. I don't need twitter's verification that i'm allowed to like like last jedi as well as liking rogue one or dude i I got in a conversation with a buddy of mine about solo solo's not that bad like there's some cringeworthy moments in it and i I haven't seen it i have a disagreement about the the kid that plays young han solo but it's not that bad it's it's got its moments that there's some cool moments in it but you know what I did? I, I, I'm an adult. I can formulate my own opinion about things. So I watch what I watch. And if I like it, I like it. I don't care what Twitter has to say about it. The same thing goes for Cleveland Browns Twitter and, and football Twitter in general. Like, I, yeah, you can read it to a certain extent. But once you realize that there is no difference between us complaining about it or making it sound like we're experts on certain situations, then all of these other people... Like, I don't care about Jake Burns. I don't care about Tony Grossi. Like, yeah, they're all plugged in and they may have their own opinions but so what there's still people with agendas and people looking for clicks and people looking to get followers that it's all skewed so if it's starting to bother you steve to turn it off yeah like, I, I, just so put it down I, I like jake burns i think he i think he you've got him you have jake burns the fan and you have jake burns like who's a really good like film breakdown guy mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff and, and i think he skews a little bit to the I don't want to say negative fan thing, but he's you know he, he when he's doing analysis and writing things, he's looking for the problems, not the the stuff that's going really well, right? right. You know what I mean? He's like he's diagnosing the problems. He's like a doctor looking for a problem, right? You look sure. hard enough, you're going to find something. Um, there is one guy out there like I feel like he he cuts it pretty straight. I don't think he's he's super emotional one way or the other. Is Pete Smith? I don't know if you follow him. I don't really follow too. But much. he's pretty he's pretty straight down the middle. Like no, and he's like a high school football offensive coordinator in Ohio and he writes for SI um, under Browns Maven um, but anyways he's pretty straightforward but you're right there's other people that just have these takes that are like you know even even in the Browns state media like this is your Cleveland.com and Acrobeacon Journal and all those like some of those guys like, like you mentioned Grossi and Mary Kay Cabot and all that they just, Terry Pluto like the Terry or Mary Kay Cabot has just been putting up these like it's not necessarily what she's saying, but how she's phrasing it that just is so inherently negative or yeah. meant to drum up drama when it's just like we're, we're almost 500. Mm-hmm. We were 0 16 two years ago. Like, we're not that <laughs> removed from being the biggest dumpster fire in NFL history. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're still, I mean, obviously, like, it's a slim playoff chance, but we're in contention. We beat the Ravens, who look to be clearly the best team in the NFL. And, and we beat and, them handily. And we beat them handily. And, and, and now just because things aren't going, we're not 13-2 and two going to the Super Bowl, everyone's just like, oh, my God, the, the sky is falling. Like, no, the sky fell two years ago. Like, <laughs> when we had Hugh Jackson, like, let's just 
pump our brakes a little bit and realize that we're in a good spot. Like, no, John Dorsey does not need to be fired because of a couple questionable decisions. Like, Kevin Zeitler, yeah, would made made a huge deal for our offensive line, but guess what? He ain't doing shit and for the Olivier Giants Vernon's, right now. And Olivier Vernon's been awesome. When he's been playing, sure. Right. But, but yeah, wait, he's, he hurt his knee, but he's been awesome. Um, I'll do that trade again any day. Um, yeah, and you look, I wish they would do, I need to go back and look. Like some of the people that we've jettisoned, like Jannard Avery, who played really good. He's like, a, he's like a linebacker, but he's a little big and slow to be a linebacker. So he's yeah. primarily an edge rusher. He played yeah. great last year. He got, didn't even get on the field this year. We traded him to Philadelphia. His first snap, he gets a sack. But then hasn't everybody, done anything since. No, he's played 20 snaps yeah. all year. <laughs> like he, So he's not even catching on there. And their um, defensive line has been decimated by injuries, too. Like They're looking for bodies to put, and he can't right. make the field there. So it's not like John Dorsey put his foot in the ground and was like, man, I'm not playing this guy on principle. Yeah. It's like clearly there's something. Right. He either came in overweight or came in too bulky that he lost the speed that he had or he came in underweight and now he's being tossed around like we don't necessarily know it's the same thing with Richard Higgins I thought Richard Higgins and Baker had a good a good yeah. chemistry last year but the, he the problem the is he, we, he's got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry in front of him right. like, those are two top 10 wide receivers like okay I get it like maybe he's not as good as them which is very, <laughs> well, very possible. Well, yeah, but the problem is that they're you know not the problem, but you know everybody's expecting that Higgins was going to be the third wide receiver and no. he would complement those guys, and instead it's been like last game it was Ratley and mm-hmm. Hodge. Who the hell is Hodge? Like I don't even remember him from training camp, and then nope. you know, uh, and then he's catching he's catching bombs. I don't know. It's it's any time we watch the game and he does something, I just get I get a text from Dad. It just says, "Who the hell is hot?" With like four question marks. Thanks for that. All right, but I digress. Yeah. So, a couple. You touched on one thing that I really want to go back to real quick. Just so do you, and maybe we talked about this before. Do you have tickets to the uh, the the last Star Wars? Or the, I do. Whatever, the, what, Rise, of, Rise of Skywalker. I Rise do. of Skywalker. Okay. I'm going Christmas Day with Aaron's dad because I got nobody. Out. Like we're gonna have a bunch of people in town, and it's just it's an escape. I, I was either going, <laughs> I, I was either going by myself or going with her dad. Like that's what I that's how I proposed it to Aaron. I was like, your dad can come with me if you would like, or I'm going by myself, but I'm nice. going to see it. So we bought yeah. tickets for next weekend. So. We're going to see it on Saturday in a big theater up in Bellevue, so it'll be good. I'm excited. Like I started, they've been running the marathons on whatever TBS or TNT. So I was watching. I started watching the original trilogy again, and like I'm excited. I watched this week's Mandalorian, and I actually really. Yeah, 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 yeah. you didn't watch it yet? No, no, we were going to watch it. Yes, we're going to watch it this morning, like after the podcast. So it's good. I I I really like this episode, and I'm not not giving out a spoiler. Guess who's in it? Did you see? He was in the trailer for the season, but Bill Burr's in it. I oh my God, is he really? I love Bill Burr, and he uh, plays so the same same kind of sarcastic, smarmy a hole that he is in real life. So, mm. yeah. Watch the um, if you have. Oh, sorry, my I don't think I've got a mic cable situation. Yep, you yeah. moved. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. Whatever. Um, watch the Bill or go listen. I said watch. It was on his podcast, or and you can find it on YouTube. I'll, if I can find it, I'll post it on our Twitter. Um, 
the Bill Burr take on the Miles Garrett, yeah, um, Mason Rudolph incident. It was awesome. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I just I like Bill Burr. All of his stand up specials are good. Every time he's been on any podcast, even whether it's somebody else's, like he was on Mark Marin, he was really good. Like I just like him. I like his podcast. It's like. Uh, he had, and he gets like I don't listen to it all the time because mm-hmm. um, sometimes he just like he's just trying out bits and stuff. I think right, he's just kind of rambling. But uh, uh, he had Les Claypool from Primus on, and it was nice. awesome. I'm sure Les Claypool is so, awesome. Les Claypool is awesome, and Bill Burr's a drummer. Like he kind of um, he gets music, and he's been playing. You know, he he'll do like the celebrity things, like the celebrity fundraisers, and he'll play uh-huh. drums behind like ACDC. And, stuff like that he'll play a song it's kind of cool i just like bill burr and he's really good in it so i right, look forward to watching it um before one more thing before we get into vegas and vegas movies and all that stuff is if we go back and i'd have to go back i, th- I think it was post-apocalyptic movies which was when did we do those <laughs> dude it all, blur- the- it all blurs together yeah, was that uh, uh, season six, episode twenty? See, I wrote everything down, Chris. Um, we talked about post-apocalyptic movies. You mentioned uh, a movie called Snowpiercer. Yep. So, uh, I was coming back from a, a trip this week where I was flying from basically flying from Ottawa via Detroit back to <laughs> back to Seattle. Uh, so I downloaded. I was looking at Netflix for stuff to download, um, and. Uh, I was going to download Sherlock Holmes for some reason that wasn't available for download. Not the movie, the series with Benedict Cumberbatch. Well, have you watched it at all? Yeah, yeah. I watched oh, like okay. part of the first season. It was really good. Um, uh, I've watched every episode religiously. I love that show. I love yeah. the, the way they, they parse everything out. I like the way they show his analytical brain working. I like him. I like I like the guy that plays Moriarty. I like Martin Freeman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just, no, I... Yeah, but it wasn't available for download. I need, of course, to watch it on my iPad on the plane. Got to download it. So, oh, there's Snowpiercer. Chris mentioned it. I'll watch it. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. Really I, I, like, good, right? From a, like, the idea behind it, right? And um, and thinking about, I've been spending some time with this, you know, what Neil Gaiman's master class on storytelling and, and writing and all that. I meant to ask you that. I didn't activate my master class gift yet, but which one did that's what you started with was the Neil Gaiman one? I'm doing Neil Gaiman and uh Dead Mouse doing electronic music. Okay. <laughs> so I am going back and forth between them. But the anyways the, the this and Neil Gaiman talk about storytelling and ideas and, and how you formulate ideas and everything. It was good. And then I so I watch I start watching things a little bit differently. Um, and I watched Snowpiercer and the idea, like if you really want to get uh, esoteric about it and look at like the, the concept of like moving from the back of the train and escalating up to the front of the train and and all that. And then ultimately, spoiler, de- derailing the train. Like sure. there's there's so many metaphors and everything in there. I just thought it was a really clever idea. I thought it was really poignant with like the environment and everything else. And, and it, it made a lot of commentary on society. And it was just a cool movie. Like it I was just, just, it was interesting. Yeah. I had never seen anything like that before. Like the idea of the train being a, a perfect parable for class warfare, and the moving up from yeah. from the lower class, and and it, it just, I, I'd seen a few other. He had done a movie called called The Host, which is a, a pretty interesting monster movie. If you if you liked Snowpiercer, you'd like The Host. And he also just recently did that movie Parasite. That's made a bunch of. It's getting nominated for a bunch of awards. It's like a low budget 
family drama. He's a fantastic director. So when I heard that the, the guy that did the host was doing this, but because I think Snowpiercer was also a comic or a graphic novel, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, when I watched it, I absolutely, and I love Chris Evans is great. And Tilda Swinton is so gloriously weird. <laughs> and, it, and it's just, but that's so the post-credit sequence of Avengers when they when they went and got Swarma, that the reason that Chris Evans has his hand over his face is because he has that beard from Snowpiercer. They had to actually put a prosthetic over it because he was legally con- he was contractually obligated to keep his beard while they were shooting Snowpiercer, so he had to keep his hand over his face. So they put like a prosthetic jaw over his. You know what I'm talking about? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. At the very when they're all sitting there, he's sitting with like his hand over his face, like kind of just leaning on his fist, and that's to cover up this terrible prosthetic they had to put over the beard that he grew for <laughs> for Snowpiercer. But they're making a show about that. I think it's for FX. Snowpiercer? Yeah, they're doing, they're expanding it a little bit more and kind of explaining how they built the train and why the train is the only thing that still works and about how the climate change shifted. And I'm interested. It was a really good idea. And then when they kind of divulge what the train was, right? So it gives the audience a little backstory here, right? What what you come to find out the train is, it's a train that can circumnavigate the entire earth. It was built like so it could go over oceans, under oceans, wherever. Like it would go and it would do it once like one time around the earth was once a year. Yep. Right? What they would call a year, just kinda like, you know, go around the sun type of thing. Um, but they built this train to be its an entire almost like a ecosystem, self sustaining, like fish and food and ev- water, everything you need to survive on this train as it circumnavigates the globe. Oh, by the way, there's a there's a there's a, a an event happens the entire world is frozen so only people left are the people on the uh, on the train and they're they're surviving and they just keep and they and like it picks up and you're what seventeen like so they've already been into <laughs> the post apocalyptic the world's been frozen for seventeen years and they're still living and surviving as a as an ecology yeah. uh, in this train like a really a really smart idea and when they've started moving forward in the train. Like at some point when you're the way that they the way that was directed and the way they were shooting it, like the kids in school, like you almost felt like the people from the back of the train are starting to intrude. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, like in the at the beginning you're like all you're all jazzed up, you're like, you know, it's us versus them and you're rallying out, but as you kind of traverse the cars and you go through this thing and you try to and you start to escalate, now you start to like empathize with the people maybe in the middle cars. <laughs> Yeah, right. The, the it's people not just in the, the middle. The, yeah. the people aren't impressing the lower part of the train, but also not emboldening or empowering the people in the front of the train. They're just trying to survive too. It's not like all classes above you are evil. Everybody has their own levels of evil. And uh, yeah, yep. So I thought brilliant, good recommendation. Um, really like again the way I was like that's that's clever. Like that, I, I like watching things like that where it, it has something to say. It's not something you've ever seen before, or if if it is, it's done you know slightly differently. Um, so I thought it was good. How great was the axe fight? Like that was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, hey, that yeah. was just great. Yeah, but it's good. So, yeah. So like, good. see, Steve, when I give you recommendations, they're usually not wrong. <laughs> 
Like when I tell you to watch John Wick, it's like the greatest action movie ever. Like when I give you stuff, like I'm not, I don't throw around recommendations very lightly. Like more times than not, I'll be like, give it a chance, watch the first 10 to 15 minutes, and if you say, if you think you like it, then watch it. But Snowpiercer is one of those ones. You're like post-apocalyptic movies that you haven't really seen done a certain way before with really good acting and really interesting set design and production values. Like, yeah, it was good. It was good. But glad you liked it. Yep. So I watched it. I mentioned I watched it on my way home from Ottawa. Before I went to Ottawa, so I had a, a, kind of a long week. I went from uh, – I was in Vegas for literally like 24 hours. It's supposed to be there for like two days, two nights. But I had a last-minute trip to go to Ottawa. So I flew from Vegas to Ottawa. So I was literally in Vegas 24 hours, maybe 30 hours. That's plenty. It was my fourth, or, it was my fourth trip to Vegas this year. Ugh. And I've probably been to Vegas now since I graduated college. And I went my very first trip back in when I worked for Lord. So that would have been 96, yeah. late 95. So that's a long time. And uh, I've probably been to Vegas 50 times Ugh. at least, right? If I went four times this year, a couple times a year on average. There was yeah. a streak in there. There was a streak in there where I didn't go that often. There wasn't conferences I was going to in Vegas, but Microsoft signed up all their uh, all their conferences, their partner conferences, and everything. So I'm gonna be going twice a year at minimum now for uh, for a while. See, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that might alienate some. I absolutely loathe that town. I hate mm. it. I hate Vegas more. I've been there. I think. Six, five or six times and every time within like the first 48 hours it's fun and then after that it's just an endurance trial it's just like i can't it's too loud it's too many people it's too hot the times that i've been there it's just yep. too much going on and it's always feel like i'm missing out on something so my fomo kicks in and then the next thing i know i'm not sleeping and yeah <laughs> It is. So and I wanted to touch on that a little bit, right? So if I look at all the times I went to Vegas and this, this, this one, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you where you're at, uh, you know, uh, um, Vegas has got a different thing, particularly when I'm trying to do work. Like it's the sure. least practical place to be to conduct business. Like it is, it is an adult Disneyland. You, you can't get anywhere. You have to walk mile. Like it's just, it's and it, and it noise and distractions and, Anyways, but if we go back to my first trip to Vegas when I was 23 years old or whatever, and Lord's like, hey, I need you to go to this conference. My boss like, you need to go. And I was like, all right. I was only there for like a day or two. I stayed at the MGM like this, and I'm like, you know, fresh out of college. And I was amazed. Like, I'm just used to being out of college. Like, I'm living on my own. And now they, they plop me in Vegas with a little bit of money. And I was, I was like, this place is awesome, like because you just never seen anything growing up in Erie. Like, yeah, there's just nothing like that. Like you saw it in movies, and then you realize it was just, it was a spectacular. Like everything was grandiose, marble floors, and and this is when the MGM was still fairly new, right? I mean, Vegas yep. has evolved a lot in the last 25 years. Um, but I just remember that and being super cool. And then I would look forward to. Like once a year, going for a conference or whatever, going to going to Vegas. I remember one year I got my bonus check from mm-hmm. there, which, I, you know, at the time it might have been like twelve hundred dollars or something. It was a, I mean, it was like my annual bonus, but yep. it came like I literally got the check in my hand two days before I boarded the plane and went to Vegas. Like bad idea. Like just 
So, so the very first time I ever went to Vegas, Steve, was directly after I graduated from college. I took all of the money that I got from college that was supposed to be like my nest egg to like go get an apartment in Pittsburgh and stuff like that. I came back with came back with 150 bucks in my pocket. That was yeah. it. That was it. I spent I spent every dime because I stayed up. I played poker. I played blackjack. <laughs> I stayed up like I literally. I think I slept maybe a total of six hours over like a five or six day period. Like just it was still it was my early twenties. It was like twenty two, twenty three. I had some money in my pocket and I just went out and caused problems for myself. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and came back with one hundred fifty bucks in my pocket. So like I immediately had to start working. It wasn't those ones like, oh, I could take some time. I could find a job that I really like. I could just, it was like, nope. I came back. Dad was like, well, you're kind of screwed. You better start working. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Moved to Pittsburgh and started working. And then rest is history. But every time, I mean, the only good part about that first trip that I went there, it, I saw Carlin. I saw George Carlin at the MGM. Oh, man. And it was one of because mom and dad bought my tickets, my flight out there, and then that was my graduation present from them was two tickets to go see George Carlin. But the only problem was that... Wait a, wait a second. You got a trip to Vegas and got to see Carlin for your graduation present? Yeah. I got a watch. Yeah. You were, like, they expected you to graduate. You were on Dean's List and stuff. They were so shocked that I actually got the diploma after it was my like, fifth, the fifth year victory lap with a media studies degree that they were like, we're just so impressed that you finally somehow convinced Penn State to let you graduate. That, well, here you go. We're going to send you to Vegas. Like, they didn't pay for the hotel. They just paid for my flight. And then I went and saw Carlin. But the problem was, Steve, is that you, me, and Dad are all such Carlin fanatics that we had read all the books. We had seen – like, I, you bought me the box set of, like, every stand-up special that he ever did, including, like, the – what was the one that he did with – uh, Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg and Billy the comic Crystal. relief. Yeah, it had all those ones on it. It's like a eight DVD set that has like all these different ones. So like I was absolutely infatuated with Carlin, but he was towards the tail end of his career at that point in time. So it was just the greatest hits. So I knew all the bits. You know right. what I mean? Like all the jokes and setup were all ones that I had memorized. So it wasn't anything new. So I was actually kind of disappointed. I mean, he did. He did the baseball versus football. Like he did, he did the seven dirty words. He did. He did all of like his. It was the greatest hits. It was the greatest hits performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was kind of disappointing because I was all excited to hear new material. But I mean, it was still great. I mean, it was still. I I get to tell people that I saw George Carlin, probably my favorite stand up in history, in Vegas, where when I graduated from school because I think he died shortly thereafter. But it was just so. Oh, it wow. was. It was relatively disappointing just because I was such a fan and I knew all the bits before that. That so yeah, and we took the kids to Vegas this year, right? So <laughs> they get they get a winter break and they get a spring break, right? So they get a winter break because so it, it gets a little, it gets a little gray and gloomy out here in Seattle over the, yeah. from, from between November and, and February. So they give them a week off, like in February. And the first year we lived out here, we went to, like, Southern California, went to, like, the Disney, and we went to San Diego and all that stuff. Super cool. So we want to go someplace warm, get out of this, someplace where we're going to see the sun. And someplace where we can get it. It's an easy flight, and, and it's not too expensive. And I've got Marriott points and with all the travel I do. So we went to, we went to Vegas, not with the intent of, like, let's, you know – we're not going to go whoop it up. We stayed off this trip in a in a in a residence inn, but we went down and saw the Hoover Dam, which was super cool for the kids yeah. to do. We went hiking um, 
down there. We went and saw Cirque du Soleil. The kids love. I mean, that, that is that's an experience to go see a, a a proper Vegas show like that with the kids. I thought was cool. We went out and had a good had a good meal at um, Cake Boss, whether that Buddy V's restaurant, yep. the Italian restaurant, was really good. Right before we went and saw the show. And and we when we did all the other stuff, we went to the aquarium at uh, Mandalay Bay, and we went to the mountains, cool. and yeah, you know, we just did all the stuff, and the kids really liked it. Well, and especially um, now, but we were they, only there for like four days. Well, and and Vegas isn't days. the when you refer to it as the adult playground. Like it used to be the only place that you could go and gamble, and now in the most recent, like in the most more recent years, that from what I understand is they're trying to make it more family friendly because now you can gamble anywhere. Everybody has a casino, like. Friggin' Philly's got five casinos in the city, in the city proper. Like so, now it's not you either have to go to Atlantic City or Vegas. You can do that anywhere. So now Vegas is trying to make it a little bit more family friendly with the shows and the getting the whores off the strip and the. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, we got we you know, and they're not allowed to come up to you. Like there were people dressed in costume will come up to you and say, "Hey, take a picture," and then if you take a picture, then they want to tip. Yeah, and and we like they had these two girls, showgirls, come up to to my and Charlie, and they like, and the guy walked right up, like we were out in front of like Treasure Island, walked right up, like they can't do that, like shoot the, shoot them away. It was kind of funny. Yeah. Don't touch them. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's still you still have a lot of that going around, and it's it's it. But so Vegas has got a lot going for it in terms of like there's people that just flock to it for conventions or whatever just to get away just because it's i don't know it's like <laughs> it's stuff you wouldn't normally do and, and they just play on that like smoking and drinking and like stay like no concept of time and just like it, it's just it's 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 a crazy it can be a, like a crazy party yes it can um, and i'm not i'm not here for that anymore so this week when i when i flew out and you know i was i think the one night i uh and I was off. To, I stayed off the strip. I actually stayed at the same hotel I stayed at with Janine and the kids, because um, only there for a work event. I had to present for a group of people. And I was, again, I was only there for like twenty eight hours. So I got there, wanted to get a good night's sleep. Stayed off the strip, went to a small restaurant, like you know, had food, went to bed, and then was out the next day. Um, but that's when I realized, and I left my credit card at the restaurant in Vegas, and I didn't realize that. So I got to the the, the airport, and I was just like this. That's where I started getting annoyed with Vegas and the whole everything about it. Not that it, it was Vegas' fault that I left my credit card. It was just one of those things that kind of kicked off all my thoughts about how 23-year-old Steve loved Vegas yep. and 47-year-old Steve was like, ugh. Yeah, that's, dude, that's how I was about New York City. I used to love New York City. I used to think it was like the greatest. There's always something to do. You can go and find an all-night burger place at 4.30 in the morning after you've been out drinking all night. And now I, I hate New York City. It's so crowded. Get away from me, people. Why is everyone so close? Why, why is everyone touching and doing all this stuff? Like, no, thank you. Yeah, I don't particularly. I haven't like been to New York in a while. I kind of like New York, though. Like, I still have a, and I think that's a romanticized version of New York. But sure. Uh, but I, I spent a lot of time in New York when I was working on that um, that American Express project years ago. Like, I was taking the train up every week and doing that, and got to like. It, New York's cool. Like there's there's some coolness to it. I know you I wouldn't you, you, would you never would want to live there. Never. My buddy my buddy Jay, my one of my best friends in the world, lives in Midtown Manhattan and like I go and visit him every once in a while and like we always he's a photographer too, so we always like we'll go out, we'll play pool for a little bit and then late night we'll just go wander around, take photos and stuff like that, which is fun for a night or two. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
But would you like, you know, if you have a rough day and then you have to get up and you want to go down and just grab a cup of coffee and you have to go to the local bodega and you have to push through crowds of people and, and no, 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 right. no, no, no. Yeah. So and that's kind of like Vegas. It's good for like a day or two. Right. Like, yeah, Vegas can be good and, and not but not again for me four times a year. So uh, and, and I go I think the best example of this would be if I go back, I think this is my second or third trip to Vegas. And this is this is even early on. I had kind of hints that like, all right, Vegas is, is meant to be consumed much like sugar uh, in, yep. in small, S- small quantities, doses. but it can easily go addictive. So I was doing all these trade shows. And there was this massive trade show called Con Expo Con Ag. It's like one of the largest trade shows in the world. It's all construction equipment and everything. And at the time, they only had it every six years, and which that's a long time between trade shows. I mean, that's, that's just a long time. But it was because it was so massive. Like quarter million people uh, would, would come on to Vegas. I was there for nine days. Ooh. I was in Vegas for nine days. Days, and I had it set up for the conference. I had to be there for the conference. I had to help tear down. So nine nine days is seven days too long yes. in Vegas, and we were trying yes, to work and, and everything. So um, it happened to be that Jeff Agnew, my roommate from college, the guy who played bagpipes at our wedding. Yep. Yeah. So Jeff worked for a construction company because this show is so massive. Jeff and and um, uh, another friend of ours from from college that he grew up with. They both worked for Eric. Worked both for the same company, and. Um, we they were there too, and we got out. We got together one night, and and part of this show that I'm working is a, a 7 a.m. breakfast meeting at the Mirage every morning with the boss. Now keep in mind, I'm still like 25, 26, and I'm like the low man on the totem pole. It's all the salespeople and then the sales manager. Every morning we have a debrief. We're getting ready. We're going to attack the day. Somehow we end up at the Flamingo at the O'Shea's, which is my favorite bar casino in it's in the flamingo hilton that's my favorite place to go gamble or it was um back then because they had comp guinness right <laughs> most 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 rest most of the casinos when they come around like they give you like you know bud light and miller light and you know you get like watered down jack daniels or whatever um kettle one vodka and uh, so, anyways, they had comp Guinness. It was an older, so the the table stakes were like it was like two dollar minimum instead of like the five dollar <laughs> at the other. Anyways, so we wrap up. We're, we're getting wrapped up there. We've been out the whole night. We went to the Hard Rock. We went all around. We walked around the strip. It was really cool. We had a really good time. But now it's 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 like encroaching on like five a.m. and we're, I'm sitting there at the table, and Jeff's like, "Hey, we're gonna go out to uh, another place." Do you want to go? And I'm looking at my watch. I was like, if I go, I'm going to miss my 7 a.m. meeting. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I want to say I had like 37 minutes of sleep. Yep. You know, Sounds like, right. and, and, oh, hating life, like walking around the next day trying to avoid people. <laughs> like, eh, eh. and luckily, I, like, I did that meeting, had a little bit to do, and I, I kind of knew, but still trying to show up and look like I hadn't been out all night and hadn't slept was, that was a, that was a chore. Yeah, and I just can't but, do that anymore. Like I just like the body has got the mileage on it, and yep. like and oh crud! Stop mind. moving! Wow, it's, not me. I'm literally know, sitting in the same position now. While you're tinkering with that, so the last time I was in Vegas was for my for my buddy Jay's bachelor party. So last same thing. Last night before we leave, I have a I think a seven thirty flight 
out the next morning and we're out till about five o'clock in the morning and I had that moment of clarity. I'm like, all right, I either go with them to the next location or I just go to the airport. So I go to the airport like a grown up, but I have a, I have a 007. I don't like Bloody Marys just because I don't like uh, tomato juice. So I drink Bloody or uh, 007s, which is basically a screwdriver with Sprite in it. It's just orange juice, vodka, and Sprite. So I go and I have like three of those after I had been out all night drinking, just for the the sole reason that I'm going to pass out through my entire flight back to Philadelphia. <laughs> so I have a layover in Phoenix. We hit Something happens where we ended up landing late. So I have, I think it was 12 minutes to run from one side of the Phoenix airport to the other. Mind you, middle of summer, and the air conditioning had just broke in the, in the terminal. So I run from... <laughs> From one end of the, the airport to the other, and I get to my terminal where my, my flight to my flight to it was Pittsburgh, I think. Sorry, my flight to Pittsburgh was supposed to be boarding, and I get there, and it said it was delayed 45 minutes. I said, okay. I literally dropped right there. I threw my bag on the ground right in front of the uh, the ticketing counter, and I fell asleep on the floor <laughs> directly in front of the ticketing counter. Like people are kicking me to check in, like not realizing that I'm there. They're going to like put their tickets up there and I'm just sleeping on the floor. That's awesome. Co- covered in old beer and cigarettes and yeah, it was awful. I got on the plane and the woman next to me and she just goes, you, you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I come, I'm coming back from a bachelor party. She goes, you smell like alcohol. She smells, she was like, you smell like you showered in alcohol. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I didn't. It's just coming out of my pores because I have no actual fluid left in my system <laughs> except for the residual alcohol. So, yeah. Yeah, can't do that stuff anymore. Um, hmm. And there, there was one, uh, one other, two other stories I want to share with you. Um, one is the one time I went to Vegas and I didn't drink or I didn't like – but I didn't sleep either, right? So uh, this was many years ago. Um, you know, the guys that I was friends with in college um, and the sheriff who I live with um, – Played in that band, Pollen, and they did a little. Uh, they they opened for the Descendants, one of my favorite bands, on like a West Coast jaunt of the Caffeine Nation tour. They they were going to play a couple of dates with them. So, I had flown out there, and um, I was staying with those guys, and they played in Phoenix one night. Right, so that Pollen opened up for the Descendants and like uh, our Armchair Martian, which is another awesome band, and. And anyway, so we did that. They had a party at their house, but Kevin Scanlon, who you know, Kevin's a great, great photographer. Um, yep. He was also a guitar player in that band, Pollen. Uh, he wanted to go to Vegas early to go check out the pawn shops and look for cameras and camera equipment and everything. I was like, I'm in. So, And I had a rental car, so I could drive them up, but I had to be back. And, and they were playing in Vegas the next day with the Descendants. So we were going to we go, go up. We're going to check out the pawn shops. They were going to play, and then I was we were going to come back so I could catch my plane my plane back to the East Coast. So we did that. So, but they had this party at their house, right? Which was like we it was one of those up to like three in the morning, and, and the Descendants were there. Chad Price, who was in All, who he was there. Um, Armchair Martian was there. It was super cool. It was just hanging out at their house in Phoenix. But then Kevin and like, we're going to get up and go still. I'm like, yeah, man, if you're up, I'm up. So we get up and go. We go to we go to uh, Vegas. We go to the – like do the pawn shop thing, go to the club. And we had like – so now I'm like two hours sleep. I fall asleep in the Descendants dressing room like on <laughs> like on a couch. And I can, I'm like half asleep and I'm like people are coming in and like stepping over top of me. And they're like, well, who's this guy and whatever. And then they play – and all that, and my flight is literally the next morning. So I have no. We can't stay in Vegas. There is no like. Soon as the show's done, we pack up their gear, 
Kevin and I are back on the road back to Phoenix. And it's like a five-hour drive through the desert. desert. And what you primarily see is white crosses for people that have fallen asleep and killed themselves trying to drive from Vegas to Phoenix. Like literally that's what you're – they're cactus trees or Joshua trees and these white crosses. So we're switching like like if you get tired, let's switch. And we're like switching. It feels like every twenty minutes. <laughs> like one of us is sleeping in the back. And, um, I made it back. So it was like one of those like I probably slept three hours in two days, and then yeah. got on the plane and went home. But again, there was no drink in there because we we knew we had to drive back. So we just go to Vegas, do pawn chops, watch the show. Uh, it was kind of cool because I got to watch part. Of, I got to watch the whole show from backstage. That's which was which was really cool, and that's where I really fell in love with the band Arch- Armchair Martian. They're really good. You got um, me into them. Yeah, so re- really good band, and then they've gone on to do uh, Drag the River, and then John, John Snodgrass is doing his own stuff, Johnny Martian, um, which is all really good. He they've always kind of had that like to me. I felt like they were one of the early ones into like the the the, the country western, or the country folk meets pop or punk type of thing, um, where they were they were really heavily infused by. Like the Johnny Cash and everything, and this was way back in the you know in the nineties type of thing. So yep. that was a that was a memorable Vegas trip. And then when I was there, and I don't remember if I told you the story. Uh, I know I didn't tell it on the podcast, but I was in Vegas uh, in July for a conference, and I've really stopped like gambling and stuff and staying out late at these conferences just because it's just again a lot of mileage on the body. Um, but one night when I'm there, I'll be like, all right, t- tonight's the last night. I'm going to go out and play a little bit of cards or whatever. And I'm just flying home the next day. And the guy I work with, he's kind of been my lucky charm for the last three or four times I've been to Vegas. Like if I play with him and I play either Blackjack or uh, Ultimate Texas Hold'em or whatever, I'll win $300. Like I just just play with him. I win $300. So I'm playing with him. And I'm up this time. And I'm up up quick. And I should have quit because I I, I hit like $600 on one hand doing Ultimate Texas Hold'em, which is kind of Texas Hold'em against the house. Kind of like Blackjack. Um, so I'm doing good, and it's just it's it's my coworker, myself, and then there's a couple seats open, and there's another guy, and he's far enough away, like we're not talking to him because he's kind of on the other side of the table, but it's just the three of us playing cards, and you know Terry was doing okay, and and then he lost, and then I I was up, and then I, I was like okay, I cashed out like 300 left, and I'm at the trade show the next day, and I'm just at the booth and whatever, and this is a big Microsoft show, like 16,000 people. And out of the corner of my eye, I catch this guy, and but I, not well enough to recognize him. So what, but I'm like, I think that's the guy we played cards with last night. <laughs> and he was just standing there. And I was like, did we play cards last night? He's like, yeah, I think we did. And I would happen to be talking to somebody else at the booth. And I, so I kind of made an introduction. I was like, hey, I met this guy last night. We played cards at the casino. And I, like, I did okay. I won a couple hundred bucks. But the guy that was there, I, he was obviously winning, but it was hard to tell how much he was winning. And, and I was like, this guy did pretty good. And he's like, and he was a European guy. He's like, oh, yeah, I won 14 grand. Wow. Playing Ultimate Texas Hold'em. And he was, um, and I, there's a name for it. I guess the casinos frown on this is like start cashing in for $1,000 chips and putting them in your pocket. Yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a code name for that. But they don't like that. Of course um, they don't. Because you know they're, they're you're taking all your winnings and put them, and then you're just playing with what you have on the table. But he was really smart with that. He's like, yeah, I went to the I went to the counter, and he pulled out of one pocket, he pulled out seven thousand dollar chips, and then he reached in his other pocket and he had seven more. And he it was like he was just winning, cashing it, putting it in. So he didn't know how much he was up, which is a really smart thing to do. And that was really? literally the most I've ever seen anybody win at a, at a, a you know like a five ten dollar table 
Sure. Fourteen grand out of five ten dollar <laughs> table is an un- unbelievable return on your money. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and, but and the fact that I bumped into him the next day at this massive Microsoft trade show, like the, the chances of bumping into him. So I was I was impressed. I high fived him. So my my favorite gambling story from I don't even know if it was Vegas. We may have been in Atlantic City. It was me and Benny, and we were playing. Benny loves craps, so he was teaching me how to play craps. So we'd go over to the craps table, and it wasn't really that crowded. Then all of a sudden, a, a tour bus full of Chinese Chinese tourists show up. Now, if you don't you don't recall, Benny is Chinese and speaks fluent Mandarin. So they walk up to the table, and he becomes the center of attention because he's cracking jokes people are making bets and we are <laughs> dude like i'm literally only white dude at the table only white dude probably within like a four table radius and so like we're sitting there i was up i i don't know how to play craps i still to this day don't know how to play craps but i ended up winning like four hundred dollars on like a fifty dollar bet so i just was sitting there watching benny benny ended up turning i think like 150 dollars into i think about 1200 into like 1100 1200 dollars so we're like all right and at that point in time they're all buying us drinks we're all getting you know getting lit up and stuff like that and so then we're leaving benny grabs all of his chips he's like all right that's it we're we're, we're leaving we're walking away so we're walking back to the the cashier and we're walking past the roulette table and sitting at the roulette table i want to say are four i want to call them strippers but there's a good possibility that they were hookers they were all very scantily dressed (laughs) and they and they start yelling to us and we're like you know we're feeling good about ourselves a few cocktails deep you know we're all we're both up so we go over and we're starting and betty was like all right ladies your choice and he grabs all of his chips and he says red or black and i just go betty if if passenger 57 hasn't taught you anything you always bet on black black. (laughs) and the hottest the hottest stripper goes red and he goes okay red he puts it down and it came up black and he just looked at him and he gave him all the finger and he just goes, screw you. And he just walked away. And so Benny lost all of his money that he spent a good probably four hours playing craps and discussing Chinese politics with Mandarin <laughs> tourists. <laughs> and I remember the next day we woke up and Benny goes, was I up last night? I was like, dude, you were up like over $1,000. He goes, then what happened? I was like, the strippers? He goes, wait, we went to a strip club? And I'm like, no, we were walking out and there were strippers sitting at the roulette table. And he was like, I bet on red, didn't I? I was like, yes, you did. He was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Come on, never, always bet on black. Always bet on black. Passenger 57 I, taught me anything. I, I I did. This was a different trip. I still, I, I I should have written down all. I, I won't even be able to recount all the times I've been to Vegas. This was a, I was there for another smaller conference, and um, I was staying at like the Tropicana, and I this was right after Mom died, and I was and I don't normally play roulette, but I was like, all right, six is my you know lucky number, right? It's it's I was born on the sixth of the month. My my I was born on the sixth. Charlie was born on the sixth. Mom was born on the sixth. Yeah. So lucky number. So I. I Playing roulette, I, I would put, I would bet six chips at a time, right? So you could get, and it was a five dollar table, so it was a five dollar minimum bet, but you could move your chips around. So I would put five on the number six, and then one chip on the number eleven, right? So because that was mom was born eleven six, right. and so I bet six chips, five and one. And, and anyways, second roll, I think it came up eleven, <laughs> and it was like so it was like a right because or no it was. Uh, or maybe it came up six because it was like it pays like thirty six to one. Yeah. So I like won, I won like one hundred and eighty bucks, and I just I was like all right I'm good. <laughs> I got up and walked away, but I was like literally like two spins. 
I don't play. I don't play any. I play blackjack a little bit if like people want to, but I literally only play poker, just because you can really control how much your wins and loss. You don't go on big runs or you know what I mean. Like it's one of those ones you can really kind of control how much money you play with, how much money you lose. And it, mm. literally, I think one of the casino rules is you only have to play one hand an hour to get free drinks. So we used to just go and just sit and sit and play poker, and I would fold every hand and just get free cocktails while mm. everybody else was pushing back and forth and over-gambling. And I would right. just sit there, put 100, put 100 bucks down, drink for four hours, walk away with 95 yeah. bucks. And I was like, yeah, it works for me. <laughs> right. And blackjack, you can kind of do that too. Like it's yeah. like – Blackjack, you can kind of moderate, um, you know, as long as the, as long as there's not drinks super flowing, right? I and mean, that's the yep. thing that dis- destroy you is the drinks. Yeah, it's the free drinks. The, and that's what, the other thing I changed. Like the one time, not this last trip, but the other trip, well, another one where I like won three hundred bucks was I sat down. I was like, I'm I'm gonna drink Red Bull, and right now, like I eventually switched it over to Red Bull and like. Uh, um, uh, vodka at some point yeah. but you know like i was like i need like soon as you start drinking you make bad decisions like yep. just oh i'm gonna win you get overcome that's how they get you like that's just it's it's such yeah, a con like the whole vegas is such a con like they just they take your money it's fun and you just uh, but you're there's i think there's better uses and this is the this is the old steve's talk talking right which is <laughs> like i would have loved to you know and I, and I enjoyed going to vegas when i was younger but now it's just not did you not, ever, it doesn't have the same allure that it used to. You watch Adam Ruins Everything, right? I do not. Like you, oh, you know. All right. He does a whole episode on Vegas and a whole episode about how the, the sounds from the, the, the slot machines are specifically designed to be enticing to you, almost like a Pavlov's dog. Like when mm. you, hear a, you, hear, you hear a certain bell, like it, it'll do the sounds like it's a high payout when it's only like a moderate payout and it's all mm-hmm. designed to funnel you to give your money it's once you watch that you like it completely changes because like i know dad and maggie are big into like slot machines and they're like oh we always do really really well like no it's it, it tracks your eye movements to see when you're kind of wavering with your intensity or your focus and it'll give you like a small <laughs> way to bring you back in and it's just yeah i mean Vegas is probably the biggest, longest running con in American history, and now right. the problem that they're running into is that it now it's legal everywhere. Like you, you yeah, couldn't yeah. even you couldn't even sports bet in Atlantic City for a time being. You could only do sports betting in in Vegas. So we used to go anytime we were out there, we'd go to a sports book and just do random random bets. But now you can go to like there's literally a casino less than 15 miles away from my house that you can go and do sports betting. There's a there's a there's a sports book. Like an off like an offsite sports book right around the block from my house, like eight to ten ten miles away. Like so, last year when the Browns were coming off their zero and sixteen season, I went and put fifty dollars on them to make the playoffs, and I got sixty to one odds, and they missed the playoffs by one game. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about a three thousand dollar payout yeah. on a fifty dollar bet, and they missed it by the last game of the yeah. season. So I didn't do that this year. And then they were like the odds on favorite to make the Super Bowl. I was like, yeah, no. Like 13 yeah, no. one odds to make the Super Bowl. Yeah, like, no. no, thank you. I would have taken the under on that one. Yep. Yeah. And short, you can bet short, short on all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, in, like if you go to the sports books in Vegas, we were talking about this because like you can go sit down in one of those sports books and be like, okay, there's college basketball on. All right. Well, you can bet on like who makes the first free throw. Yep. 
all those <laughs> like, all those prop bets. Yeah, we used, like, we did it the one that we were out. We were in the city. We were just we went out drinking for something, and then we were like, all right. So we were right by Sugar House Casino, and they did, and we pulled like they have those little. They basically have tablets that you can kind of you can bet with and stuff like that. You can start like a tab at your table. We were betting like the most ridiculous. We're like, all right, it's like a seventy to one odds. Like the next person is going to get a rebound and then score directly, and we're like, all right, let's fucking do that. And we did that. And, it's such a bad bet. It just <laughs> sucks your money, and then you wake up, and you have all these bet slips, and you're like, why would I bet this? This is so stupid. But, yeah, that's why I don't like Vegas. Yep. It's I don't just... really like casinos. I don't really like casinos that much. I haven't really ever had great success at casinos. The only time I really like going to is, is the horse track. I love going to the horses. I love betting on the horses. Oh, yeah. Pick the yep. cool names, and you look for the long odds, and you play your your three, your your trifecta, your box trifecta, and see what kind of those have always been more fun to me when then it's just randomly playing slot machines or video poker or any of that crap. Right? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, and I used to like my first ten years going to Vegas was I was all about the slot machines or video poker. Yeah, like. Caribbean stud or whatever, like, and I'd won money and like, uh, I, and I would get sucked in. Like I literally, and, and particularly if it was a slot machine that did something up top, like if you yep. unlock like a bonus feature and it would like, the, like uh, uh monopoly, wheel, which were a wheel always, of fortune, wheel of fortune, monopoly. There was a jeopardy one, anything yep. where you'd be like, Oh, I hit three in a row and it's going to do something up top. And I would, that, that was a big sucker because I would just keep playing. It's like, all I need to do is hit one of those, and then I can win a thousand dollars. That's why I mean, Steve watched the, the episode called Adam or, of Adam Ruins Everything about Vegas and how smartly designed and how everything, like even to the layouts of the aisles, are are specifically designed to kind of trick you into walking back into the casino proper, and and it's all just oh yeah, master manipulation of of the herd to, to continue to get people to pump pump money into those machines right. i highly recommend it and that's why you like i just i don't do it anymore well especially now the only place that we at the time when we first before it became legal to bet in pennsylvania and stuff the only place where you could go to was atlantic city atlantic city was dying 10 years ago and now that all the rest <laughs> of the places get casino like atlantic city's pretty ghetto right now and I don't know if you know this. I think I brought it up. I, we always say this product. I brought it up in the podcast at some point in time. But all of the Monopoly is based off of Atlantic City. So all the street names are all from Atlantic City. So oh, there, okay. is, there is a Baltic app. And if you're on Baltic Ave, get out of there <laughs> right. immediately. So like as you're driving. But it, it's, it's fallen on some hard times. They need to, they need to figure out something else to put down there in order to compete because <laughs> right. like yeah, even yeah. the casinos that are there are old so like they had just opened a new one called revel and revel was gorgeous it was brand new it was right on the water but they tried to charge vegas prices mm. and you don't go to you don't go to atlantic city to pay vegas prices you can go to the trop and get a, a, a 79.99 room plus a buffet on a weekend <laughs> right. and they're they're charging over 200 300 for a room so like that closed and now it's it was bought by the guy that owns the ocean the ocean mm. casino properties and stuff and it's just yeah they've been they've been recording massive massive losses and a lot of them are going bankrupt and stuff down there so it's scary it's a scary town down there i have to go down there all the time for work so i see it firsthand so yeah avoid atlantic city if possible of course yeah i've never been 
So yeah. you're not missing anything. It's like it's like Vegas, but ghettoer. <laughs> it's like Vegas, but in Jersey. So it's not warm. <laughs> right, so it's, it's like not cold and it's rainy. Not in and, the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're uh, almost an hour in, and we haven't touched on. And again, I didn't want to do a top ten list here because there's like there there's notable Vegas movies. Some of them have Vegas as a backdrop or a key plot twist or whatever. Like, so maybe we'll just uh, touch on a couple of these because they immediately when I, like when I think of like watch these movies, you think of Vegas, and they you know they because I think most of them shoot in Vegas. Like, you know, like when they're going to take place, I remember when I was out for one of the Microsoft conferences in Vegas, they were shooting, God, I want to say it was hangover part two mm-hmm. and they had the strip all closed down, but they shoot at like two o'clock in the morning. So yeah. they had the whole strip sh- shut down and they were, they were filming like some car chased car flip thing. I can't remember what happened because I never saw the hangover two. I saw the first one though. Um, but they always seem to, because they film it there, everything in Vegas feels familiar, right? Right. And you watch, like, um, so so Vegas Vacation, to me, is one of probably the, 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 the penultimate Vegas because they film it all around. And um, Ethan Embry's uh, Russ, when he's um, Nick Papa Giorgio. Put Nick Papa Giorgio. Yeah, and when he gets his fake ID from the guy, like, that is standing right in front of O'Shea's. At the Flamingo, which is again my favorite casino slash bar in Vegas, was O'Shea's. Now they've consistently they, they've completely revamped it, and it's not like it used to be. It used to be this basement bar that was kind of seedy, but it was kind of cool. They completely redone it. But at that point in that movie, I was like, "Oh my god, it's O'Shea's! It's my favorite, my favorite stop." So there's a lot of that that backdrop in there, and so that that's Vegas Vacation is a fun one. Um, Would leaving, you agree? Leaving Las Vegas the- is. Oh, go ahead. What, you have to agree that that is the worst of all the vacation movies, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, by far, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even close to any of the other ones. But <laughs> the best line out of that movie too is was when uh, Clark looks at the kids like I don't even recognize you guys anymore because it's yeah. new. It's a new Russ and uh, it's a new Russ and new Audrey. Audrey, yeah. <laughs> like, well, they re- I don't even recognize you anymore. They change. They change who's older in every one of them. The first one, Russ is older. The second one, Russ... Oh, no, second one, Russ is older, too. But then the third one, Russ is younger because it's Juliette Lewis in Christmas Vacation. Audrey's older than Russ because it's Johnny Galecki plays Yeah, Russ right. In, and then in, you uh, had, what was it, Anthony Michael Hall in the first one? Yep. And, and then, whatever her name. And who, but in this... Some awkward guy in European Vacation, right? Yep. But you get to see boobies. He makes out the girl in the lederhosen at the right when Clark's Oh, I know. We hung. had that... We, that was one of those ones that we've talked about before. Hold on, my my cable's doing things. My my um, creep factor went through the roof when I could figure out. I used to know when the boobies were coming, like seven seconds after the bells, the bells would toll. Right, we could fast you, fast forward it in the on the VHS tape when yeah. mom and dad went around. Yeah, yeah. See, like yeah. when it comes to Vegas, it, it literally only comes down to one movie for me, and it's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Now, I was obsessed with Hunter S. Thompson for a short period of time, and mm. well, not even a short period of time, mostly throughout college. Like, read all his books, and uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was the first actual audio book I listened to. We were taking a road trip somewhere, and that was the one that actually had full production value. They had different like actors for each voice. It wasn't just one guy reading the text. It was actually mm. produced like a uh, like a radio play. I remember being infatuated with that with that book and then Terry Gilliam directed the movie and like Johnny Depp was literally a walking embodiment of Hunter S. Thompson and <laughs> right. 
it was so i mean the gonzo journalism with benicio del toro as his his lawyer slash drug friend and stuff and i felt like that was where you were like benicio del toro's legit legit in that movie i was like holy crap this guy's good yeah, there's just so many quotes. I mean, my friend, all of my friends and I in in college dabbled in illicit illicit substances, so like we had a, <laughs> so we had a soft spot for it. But just so many of those quotes just became so commonplace that we use. Like when he's when Hunter S. Thompson's watching his friend or watching Benicio del Toro's character get back on the uh, back on the plane after they just had this three day bender in in Vegas, where like he asked them to kill him at one point in time when he was tripping balls in like a bathtub. He was like, "I want you to throw the the radio in with me." He was, "Wait, you want me to throw a live radio?" He's like, "Yes, right as White Rabbit is is peaking, I want you to throw it in with me so I get electrocuted to death, and I, it's the best thing ever." And so he's getting on the plane, and then Hunter S. Thompson. Most of it's fueled by drugs, and then every once in a while, Hunter S. Thompson lets this beautiful prose out, and then he says, "And there." He goes one of God's own stereo or God's own prototypes. Too weird to live, too rare to die. And I still have that on a shirt that I bought a long time ago. And it's just the the skull of Hunter S. Thompson with like a his his fishing hat on, and it just says "Too weird to live, too rare to die" on it. But, nice. Yeah, I love that movie. But that also kind of shows how much my friends dabbled in illicit. My friends and I dabbled. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, yeah. That's it a good a long one. Time ago. Leaving Las Vegas, I haven't watched that in a long. I mean, that's one of those you watch once movies. I mean, it was a that's a I'll say dark movie, but that was the Nicolas Cage Elizabeth Shue, right? Yeah, but. yeah. You think it's dark? He goes to <laughs> Vegas to drink himself to death. Right. But so that movie came out when I was in college. So I thought the scene of him dancing through the liquor store, like buying all the liquor he's going to use to drink himself to death. I thought it was like the funniest thing ever. Like I was in college. I used to think like binge drinking was hysterical and stuff. And I always wanted, I always wanted to do that. Take a little boom box with me and dance up and down the aisles while picking liquor for a party. And I got to do it. And that checked that off my bucket list. (laughs) And then, um, I think, and this is one I think, because you were big, if I remember correctly, you were big into the whole Rat Pack thing. Big time. When you were into college, like uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. um, Joey Bishop, Pete Offer. Yeah, there you go. All those yes. guys. So, yes, so, yes, I am I'm slightly infatuated. Because anybody, when you say Rat Pack, people can only name, name the three. Those three. That I did. Yeah, yeah Dean, Frank, and Sammy, but then you always forget it's Peter Offer and Joey Bishop. Yeah. So you were you were big in the guys. You had a big like. The, the, so I have this massive subway size poster of Johnny Cash. You had a massive subway size poster of the Rat Pack. If I remember yep, correctly, it's, yeah. it's from Ocean's Eleven. Them playing pool when they're when they're actually coming up at the heist that they're going to do. Right. So I was yeah. going to bring up Ocean's Eleven. Where does that rank for you? Both the original and then the reboot. I love the reboot. I love. I mean, I, I I really like Brad Pitt. I really like George Clooney. Like the that whole crew that they get together. Is a really good. That's a good like, ensemble. Like yeah, it's it Car- could- <laughs> Carl Reiner, it's Elliot Gould. Like those are great. Those are great characters, and it's a good ensemble. And Soderbergh does a really good job of making it kinetic without feeling, without feeling like a Fast and the Furious movie. With it. like, yeah, there's some spy stuff that they do, and some of it's a little mm-hmm. bit outlandish. And like the there is a giant loophole in the in the actual heist itself like how did they get the money out like how did they get the 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 porn flyers into the van that they got there's like there's no way that they could have traded it off in there somewhere like right. if you watch but 
it's good. And the second one's great, too. Like, I really, really enjoy the second one. The third one is the Ocean's 13 is just garbage. But I like the first two. And, they, you know, they all shot around there. And the, the scene of them, like, that's right after when I went to Vegas for the first time after graduation. That was right after that came out. And I went and I stood in, like, where they watched the Bellagio the water show at the very very end after they won and they all walk off into the sunset that's what i did the last night before i left as i just went and i did the same thing where i just stood and watched it and then just kind of walked off and went and got in my got in my cab and went to the airport and then left that was kind of, so that's funny we did that unintentionally when we were leaving and part of it because it was raining um <laughs> but we because we went and saw the show i think the show we saw was at the bellagio we saw or we wanted to do the fountains we went and saw the fountains and then immediately jumped in a cab went back to the hotel and it flew out the next day Yep. Yeah, kind of that's pretty much all you need to do. All right. So um, the the hangover is another great. Uh, I don't know. I, I, when I watch it, movie, and it's not one of those ones I've watched like multiple times. But the first when I saw it, I think we went and saw it in theaters. I remember watching it with Vince and Janine, and I can't I, like I felt like that was the in the last ten years probably the hardest I've laughed at a movie. I don't know. I've seen. I watch a lot of comedies, and there's some ones that are up there. But like, no, the first time you saw that, like, I knew who Zach Galifianakis was before that. There was a movie that he made with one of the the London brothers called Out Cold. I don't know if you ever saw that. Where yeah. like they play they play ski instructors at like a. It's kind of like. Do you remember? Was it Ski Patrol? That bad yeah, like eighties yeah. movie where like a, a guy came in, bought the resort, was going to fire everybody. It's almost an identical setup to that. It's like Zach Galifianakis, uh, the, one of the London brothers, and like three other people. They get bought by uh, who's the fall guy? The hell's his name? Uh, Lee, Ma- Lee Majors. Lee Majors. Yeah. And Lee Majors plays the guy that is coming in to buy this resort. And, and and kind of change, like gives them uniforms and stuff like that, and they kind of rebel against it. So I knew who Zach Galifianakis was for a long time prior to that, and so when that came out, everybody else was like, who's this guy that's really, really funny? Zach Galifianakis has been funny for like 20 years prior to that. So you put that, Ed Helms, who was coming off The Daily Show and, right. and really good at that, and then Bradley Cooper, who you hadn't really seen do a hardcore comedy. Well, I guess he did Wedding Crashers. But he wasn't right. the funniest part of that. But then you no. see him in The Hangover. But yeah, that first when when Ken when when the 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 Asian dude jumps out of the the oh trunk, trunk naked <laughs> and kicks him in the face, like yeah. yeah, it was so much good stuff. And like, and it was to me, it captured the essence of like they woke up and they were like trying to piece together, and they're like. There's a baby in the closet. There's a tiger in the bathroom, and it's like Ed Helms is missing a tooth. Am I missing? Am I missing a tooth? Yeah. It was. It was pretty funny. Like I said, it was one of those. I like. I think I belly laughed through that whole movie. Um, all right, two others to touch on real quick. Another one that I think we we both share a uh, a soft spot for um, swingers. Yeah. Right, which is, doesn't take place in Vegas, but the going to Vegas and, and all of that is a, you know, that's where you get the kind of the the, the buddy road trip part of it, and then you get the the Vegas the, stuff. The, the excitement of them when they're leaving Vegas, baby Vegas, and then it just cuts to like two hours later, they're still driving across the desert, and they both look <laughs> exhausted. Vegas, baby, Vegas, Vegas, yep. and then you finally see the lights come out like over the over the horizon, and you get excited again. But yeah, yeah. That's a good, a good, good movie. Uh, I haven't watched that one in a while, but that's a 
Yeah, I like I like that whole that, that like as a and I guess that was an indie when it came out, right? I mean, was that super independent, dude? Like, yeah, was, he made it was that like for his no money. Yeah, it was like his clerks a little bit, right? I mean, it yeah. was kind of he made it. He got Vince Vaughn. Nobody knew. Nobody knew who he was really, and made a uh, you know. Yeah, dude. Like, look at that cast. Like, sorry, I just cast. started laughing because I thought about the scene where <laughs> they're golfing. Yeah, better replace the pin Chichi. The natives, natives are good at wrestling. <laughs> I love, I love that movie. And like nobody, dude, John Favreau was an actor, but he hadn't direct. I think that was his directorial debut. So like, there was no budget, and it was him branching yeah. into being a director for the first time. But like all that stuff at the Dresden, like all this stuff, and like if you look closely, at one point they walk past the sign that production had to put up. It says, "By crossing this barrier, you are authorizing the filmmakers <laughs> to use your likeness in this movie because they couldn't actually close it." But they got permission from the, the general manager of the facility to say, all right, here, if you put these signs up, you guys can shoot in this area. We can't coordinate off. We can't block people from coming into there. But you want a crowded bar scene. So right. here you go. And it, actually, you can freeze frame it at one point in time when, when John Favreau's character is walking past. It's like, you know, wait here to be seated. And taped on top of it, it says, by crossing the threshold, you are authorizing the filmmakers of this or the makers of this film to use your likeness, your likeness. It's basically like vi- visually signing a waiver, right? Because they they had yeah, yeah. no money, and Vince Vaughn wasn't big, Heather Graham wasn't big, Ron Livingston wasn't a big name by then. Like they were all they were all working actors who all kind of knew each other that were like right. sharing apartments and stuff like that. So like Swingers is very autobiographical about where Favreau was at the time and where L- Ron Livingston was at the time. Right. And that, I love that movie. And one of yeah. the top top five cringeworthy moments is when he calls the girl over and oh over. Oh my god! I was just gonna bring that up, like where he keeps like like you play it cool, like giving it, a good, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Nikki, I, I guess I guess you're home, Mike. Don't ever call me again. <laughs> and then it just cuts to him like three days later, like unshaven, just sitting on the floor in his own filth. Rod Livingston shows up and brings him like a salami or something, and he just yeah, starts yeah. Hack, hacking pieces off. And did you get turned down for Goofy? <laughs> yeah, you went with someone with more theme park experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, last last one, and we'll we'll wrap this up. And not and just because I have a funny story about it was Showgirls. Yeah. All right. So the much hyped. I think it was even going to be almost like because it was um, crap. I forgot her name uh, from uh, Saved by the Elizabeth, Bell. Elizabeth Berkeley. Elizabeth Berkeley, but who was the character? Ch- Jesse Spano. Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell. She's now grown up, and now she's in this movie all about strippers and all the you know debauchery that goes on behind the scenes in Vegas. So this is I'm living in Erie. This is right after college. I think I was still working at the ad agency, like, and maybe working at Lord at the same time. And that movie came out like so. It must have come out in ninety five, ninety six. Um, yeah, ninety five. Yeah. So um, this is when Erie still had the drive in down yep. on Presque Isle, where now it's the Tom Ridge Environmental Center. Yeah. Like, but it was the drive in we used to always go through as kids. I went through through college, so it was still there. And this movie came out, and through a friend of a friend, one of the guys who worked with the ad agency is like, hey. You want to go and it like the theater was only open on the weekends at this time of the year or whatever. He's like, Do you want to go like on a Wednesday night and see Showgirls? <laughs> I was like, Sure. So we go, we have the entire 
drive-in to ourselves. It's like the guy who works there and like five of us. So there's like two cars. They like open up the snack bar like anything you want. We brought some beers. We sat out of the lawn chairs and watched Showgirls by ourselves. And it was – the movie was not good. But the experience of having a whole drive-in to yourself was pretty freaking cool. cool. Like well, I got to go in and see the big platter of the movie. Yeah. Um, and and I think they had something on there that was, I don't remember what else was out there, but it was like a wasn't labyrinth, but it was like a it was like a a fantasy movie that was on there at the time. Like he had to switch them out. Uh-huh. It was just kind of cool to be able to see to see that and well, see behind the scenes and, and all that. And you know, go take spree from the uh, uh, oh, oh spree. But like, well, first of all, I was obsessed with Saved by the Bell growing up, so seeing. Jesse Jesse Spano naked was like a big deal for me, but like it's also it's Paul Verhoeven, the guy that directed it, and that's the guy that did RoboCop and and uh, Total Recall and Starship Troopers. So like those are all really really good science fiction movies. So I was like, oh, Jesse Spano gets naked and it's made by a filmmaker that I really like, and then you see it and it's just like, oh my god, that's terrible. But now that's gotten. That's hit cult status. That hit like Plan Nine from Outer Space and like those type of right, so bad right. it's good. Now it's kind of celebrated for its badness, but yeah, exactly. But I I don't think Elizabeth Berkeley did much after that. I don't know. Really no, did. she that that actually probably killed part of her career. Like and it, I think, again, I think, I think it's her hard. Inab- go- her inability to act probably killed her career. But oh right, there's that. I'm yeah. so excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> yes. But. Yeah, you're right. There's that. Yeah. yeah. But Gina Gershon was in that movie, and she was a good actress. I don't know. I haven't seen her anything lately. I haven't seen Gina Gershon in anything recently. That might be a... Uh... Kyle McLaughlin? Robert Davi? Where's Gina Gershon? Gina Gershon is... She's yeah. still making stuff. Now I don't even want, I don't even want to Google showgirls. Like, I don't yeah, know what kind of... She's on, Riverd- she's on Riverdale. Oh, is she? Yeah, she is Gladys Jones. She looks like she's been on every episode. She was on Lost. She does a lot of TV. Oh, she was in Blockers. If you haven't watched that, Steve, I highly recommend that. The Blockers with John Cena. With John Cena. Um, uh, crap. What, what's her name? Amy Mann, the girl from This Is 40. It's Judd Apatow's wife. Oh, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and Ike Barinholtz play the three parents of the, the the teen girls that make like a they're gonna lose their virginity on prom night, so it's the three of them trying to stop it. Dude, that, you you want to talk about a movie that I haven't laughed that hard at at a in a long time? Like, there's at one point where they they trick John Cena into butt chugging a forty. <laughs> oh my god! I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I remember seeing the previews for it. It's so funny and so, and it has a lot of heart in it too. Like, there's some parts in it where he he has conversations with Amy Mann about kids growing up and letting them make their own mistakes and stuff. And then in between, there's him butt chugging a forty or, yeah, I recommend that. But yeah, she was in that. She played one of like the the parents of one of the kids that was like sexually liberated. Like it was her and the guy that played Bill Lumberg. You know what I'm talking about? Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell's his name? Oh, I forget. It's uh, Mark in... something. No, it's not Mark. <laughs> uh, it's hold on, I'm looking it up because I don't want to get it wrong. It's he was in uh, Dodgeball. What the hell's his name? Gary Cole. Oh right, 
He played Bill Lumberg. But he plays him and Gina Gershon play like the sexually liberating parents. So, but anyways, so now that's all I got. I don't have anything else besides showgirls. I figured we end on the showgirls note there. Fair enough. Um, what one other thing? So you know, um, I've been watching the Kaminsky method with. I think I talked about this already. Um, Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Have you watched any of that? No, I have not, but I heard it's really good. And I really like Alan Arkin, and I really oh like Michael God, Douglas. Oh, my God, he's so good. And he seems like he's been the same age for, like, 50 years. Like, Who, Alan Arkin? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He, um, and Michael Douglas, I mean, he had that whole throat thing and everything. Anyways, it's, it is grumpy old men, but with depth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's literally, and I was telling Janine this last night, we were going, I was like, uh, I can start to relate, you know, to these guys, like, you know, <laughs> going to bed at 930. And, uh, but the thing I wanted to bring up is, so it's a good show. And, um, oh, what's your name uh, in it? Um, Give me something, Steve. You know, I can oh usually follow God. the breadcrumbs. She was in Becker. Oh, my God. Why am I spacing on her name? She's, I mean, she's played... Almost the same character, and like she's been Nancy Travis. Nancy Travis. You gave me Becker. Like that was the that's the frame of reference. You give me the Ted Danson mid nineties sitcom that he was on. It was awesome. Sure, but it was also twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's been in a lot, but uh, she's in it. But anyways, um, Reiser's in it. You could have went down the t- yeah. Well, that just reminds me of I was actually driving to Atlantic City the other day and. That Paul Reiser's performing at like the Borgata or something down there. So it's a picture and it says Paul Reiser, star of Mad About You. Like, really? That's the only thing we know Paul 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 Reiser from is a, a sitcom he started twenty years ago? Yeah. They, well they just rebooted it. I know. I know. I didn't I, know. I haven't watched any of that. But the reason I bring it up is I didn't recognize him in in this, and I was trying to figure out if it's really Paul Reiser or if they make the did makeup to make him like he's got a ponytail, which is obviously not real, but he's practically bald and he like looked like he's like fifty pounds heavier, and I can't tell if they did that like if they they made him look bigger and and they just added the ponytail. I, I can't. I have to go do a little research on it. But he was he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so it's, now it's him, Michael Douglas, and Alan Arkin sitting around this table <laughs> commiserating about being old. It's pretty funny. And Paul Reiser's the youngest of the three because yeah. he's dating Michael Douglas's daughter. And, and <laughs> which I, is love, funny. I love Alan Arkin. I love him in, in Gross Point Blank as Dr. Oatman, the, the therapist that doesn't want to treat Martin Blank, wanna, doesn't want to treat John Cusack's character. You know what oh, I'm right. talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He throws he throws the phone across the room in the middle of the session with the girl, and she like starts crying. Yeah, all right, that's all. Yeah. Okay, awesome. national treasure there. Yeah, and Danny DeVito's in it a little bit. I'm trying to think what he was doing because he's buddies with Michael Douglas. Michael du- Michael Douglas executive produces the Kaminsky Method. Right. I have to put it on my. I have such a long list. Of th- I started watching the movies that made us. And the Netflix one that basically mm. does like a behind the scenes of how movies got made. And I started with the Ghostbusters one. It's an interesting show. This is the voice of the narrator. It's it's it sells it like almost like it's an infomercial. It's like this wacky narrator voice where you just could have got like a James Lipton or somebody that just has a little bit more polished mm. voice and you didn't need like the wacky subtitles and like the big loud it's just I don't know. 
Everyone told me how great it was, and I watched like half of the first episode, and I was like, it better get better. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. So. Well, I think that'll do it for our Vegas episode. Uh, that's 78 minutes worth of uh, Vegas, Vegas talk. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, but uh, as I get more and more disenfranchised with Brown's Twitter, I was trying to steer away from it. I did post a really cool picture, though, this week. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if I did. I don't know if I did. Do you, do you not follow the Matchwits account on Twitter? I, I do, but Steve, here's the thing. If you don't post anything, the algorithm doesn't pop it up on people's timelines. So if you uh, only I post like once... When? Uh, this week. I posted the picture of Cindy Lauper and Henry Rollins singing... Oh, I did see that. Yes. I did see that. Awesome. I did see that. But I need, yeah, I, I need more of that. And it, which was the quote of my tweet. Like, I, that is, I need more of that in the world. I need then more. Post stuff like that, Steve. No, no, no. Don't. I just, no, I need more Henry Rollins and Cindy Lauper getting together and being badasses. Like, don't, don't wait for somebody else to post that for you. Find something. Like, do Google searches and look for cool stuff like that and then post it. Be the voice of good on Twitter instead of being one of the miserable people that allow all the negativity on Twitter to drive you off the platform. Be the voice of change on Twitter. It's really easy, Steve. You can not be negative. Like all you have to do is find know. stuff that uh, you think's cool. What follow a follow an account called Forty One Strange. It's all stuff like that. It's all like behind the scenes weird stuff. This one they just posted was all this one artist did a full recreation of the Calvin and Hobbes snowmen. I know you you probably read some of it, but Calvin yeah, yeah. used to always make like the one where the the sled rider went through the middle of them. Like so, he does all of those, but instead of just being snow, he like puts blood on them. So, like, the, all the different Calvin and Hobbes ones, but, like, anatomically correct. So, like, the sled rider going through the <laughs> right. middle of it has, like, blood all over it. Like, stuff like that. Then follow stuff like that. Stop following Brown's Twitter. Because what do you care? You yeah, have and you can, you can mute phrases, can't you? Yeah. Like, you, can, you can mute like... everything. Like, I, I put a full, until Star Wars drops, I will not see anything Star Wars related on my feed. Because I'm sick of hearing, I don't want it spoiled from me. I don't want to hear anyone else complaining about, well, this is the way they should have done it. Well, they didn't do it that way, so suck it up, Nancy's. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so our Twitter is at MatchWits. Uh, our website is MatchWits.com. Uh, and Chris has got his own uh, Twitter. Uh, it's Acquired something. Acquired, acquired Wit. wit. Acquired yep. Wit. Acquired Chris or Acquired Wit. No. Acquired wit, not a queried Chris, not my not my login to my website that's going away. No. Acquired wit. All right, and then um, I guess we have so next weekend we are um, next weekend is going to be our big Christmas extravaganza. Sure. After we watch and probably do a Star Wars review in there too. Well, oh, wait, you're not seeing it till Christmas. Yeah, huh? yeah, I'm not seeing it till Christmas Day. We're going on the 25th. All right, fair enough. So next weekend we'll do our, our Christmas episode. I gotta watch some Christmas movies, so I need to get at it. Chris, take us out. Alright, bid you adieu. Right, Just a devil in